0: Titus chapter 2. Last week I kind of began with a disclaimer. Let me give another one today. You know, the book of Titus is not something you'll hear taught on Sunday mornings in most churches. It's a leadership text, obviously, and I've had some say to me, you're going to preach out of Titus on a Sunday morning? And uh I felt uh, obviously led to do that. I want to just say today that uh, if there's a text in chapter two uh, in Titus, it would be chapter two that you would certainly not preach on a Sunday morning. But we're going to do it, and uh, I think it's necessary stuff. Matter of fact, I'm thinking in the last 20 years or so, I haven't found a sermon on a, in a church on on the internet that has preached this. And I would say the reason why is because it's if you want to talk about a text that's politically incorrect, this is the one. And so, uh, those who want to be careful don't go down this road. I want to say to you, if you're young, if you're a millennial or you're younger today, there are some things here that, if you're not listening to the whole of God's word, some trigger points could cause you to think negative things before you hear the whole. Are you listening? You need to hear the beginning to the end, so don't dial out when you hear some word that sort of throws you off in a zone of rebellion. Just listen close, and then listen to the heart of Christ as this is being taught today. Those of us who are older as well, there are certainly things here to be reminded of, and so let's uh, read the text, uh, at least some of it, and uh, get into this text this morning. Beginning at uh, verse 1. Last week we ended again with uh, verse 16 of chapter 1, talking about obviously those that uh, in leadership we should be cautious to be uh, strong with some people who want to argue, who want to disagree with us Uh, within the church, those who can kind of cause division by their disagreements. Uh, Verse 16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. This is someone who just, you never can get along with. They're so set against everyone else and the church and God's Word, and they want to argue the point all the time. Then he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, but as for you, so now he's back on track talking to those of us who are following the Lord. He says, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Uh, Now, uh, I know in your little notes on the back of the bulletin, I said sound doctrine teaches the following, but that's really not the truth here. Sound doctrine is verified by the following would be been a better heading. So as we go through this, just kind of keep that in mind, that we're going to look at some some sub-points here on just how we're to behave as believers in Christ. And in a day and age like our day today, this is certainly contrary to the culture we live in. Uh, Matter of fact, scriptural truth itself is uh, confrontive oftentimes. Scriptural truth is challenging. It's certainly corrective in its nature, so it's not always a popular thing. And I believe that uh, in the church, especially from young to old, there has to be a sense of, uh, of those who have a firm belief in the truth, but also who practice in support of the truth There needs to be a desire to hear the truth. I hope that's true in your heart today. And a willingness to follow the truth. And if that's the case, that makes sense. Why when Jesus said in his uh, great commission statement in Matthew 28, uh, 19 and 20, when he said, go therefore and make disciples, that means that somebody has to be interested in the truth, listening to the truth, and adjusting their life to the truth in order to be a disciple, baptizing them. There has to be an obedience to follow Christ, a desire to want to do that. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And so there's certainly a sense that there are direct guidelines for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, and there should be no apology for that. So when it comes to this text in Titus, Paul is instructing Titus, who I'm assuming is fairly much younger than Paul, Uh, and obviously in this letter that all will be reading on the island of Crete and even here today, centuries later, there is an understanding of things that need to be in our lives that would complement then this doctrinal truth that we all must live by. So he says in verse 2, "...that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise..." That they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. Don't go off in a a funny world now, all right? That the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters. To be well-pleasing in all things. Not answering back. Not pilfering or stealing. Not, but showing all good fidelity. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. So there's this sense of this list of things that brings a beauty, if you will, to those who choose to live by the doctrines presented to us in the Word of God that come from our God into our lives. So let's go back. I'm going to first of all address older men. I'm going to talk to you older guys. Uh, I'm an older guy now. And uh, so uh, I can do that. And so uh, you men, listen, don't dial out the rest of you because much of this still applies to you. But specifically to you older guys. I want to just say a couple things. Sometimes us older guys don't think about the impact of our actions as we get older. I think many of us have... As we've transitioned into senioritis, and that's that's a disease we all have as we get older, we have that in common. We feel more and more disconnected to to, uh, younger adults. It's just a natural thing that happens in our culture, you know. And and and, but you know, our kids are pulled away from us. Uh, They have their own mind now. They've chosen their own life. Uh, They seldom need our input or our counsel, and. It's only those rare occasions where I get a call that says, hey, uh, have you ever thought, have you ever done this? Or have you ever experienced this? Usually I don't get those. And, and so most of us understand that. Older folks can, uh, by the way, because of this, can tend to drift into our own little world. It's just a, sort of a thing that happens to us. Uh, we become so unconcerned with the younger generation. We write off the younger generation. We just say, well, they're nothing like us, and they don't know what we know, and we just kind of separate ourselves from each other. And you know the TV ads that come on TV, and they, they want to uh, tap into our, our dreams, to follow our dreams. You know, it's so this retirement uh, euphoria that, you know, live in a, a special retirement uh, neighborhood where you have these wonderful little homes that are all manicured, and somebody else does it for you. And isn't that wonderful? Uh, play golf and travel around the world. And, you know, they're, they're, they, these things pander to uh, those of us who are seniors as though that's the way we should be living. And I want to just talk and speak to all of us here who are seniors, including you uh, ladies, to just understand this. We need you here living life with us. We need to have a connection uh, that you don't isolate yourselves from the younger culture around you, especially in this church. Uh, We need an example of your understanding of faith. Most of you have been through things that younger people have no clue about. And you've experienced everything from near-death experiences to uh, huge emotional issues with your families. You've been through the the wear and tear of life. And here you are on this side of life and hopefully still living a positive Christian life and be able to manifest to those below us who are younger than us Yes, there will be trouble and turmoil and tears and suffering, but Jesus Christ helps us conquer all of that. And we need that testimony, and that testimony is still fresh and it's still necessary. Too many hip churches, too many hip pastors are driving out seniors. Uh, If you uh, just do a little survey of the larger churches that are developing today, certainly in metro areas and so on, uh, there is this sort of sense that, well, seniors only attract more seniors. (laughs) I don't know if you know where I'm going here. But they do not attract a younger than 40 crowd. Some churches in our neighborhood are dying on the vine because Younger people don't want to go where there's just seniors congregating. And seniors are really not open to younger people coming in and saying, let's change this and let's change that. So you have this sort of rift that develops. And oftentimes churches run a cycle and then they get old and then they get dry and crusty and and completely non-understanding of the new culture around them. And they just write off everyone else. And that church eventually just dies. This is a balanced church. Let me look around. We have old and young. Isn't that great? We want to keep it that way. So you young have to have babies, and uh, you old have to stay here. <laughs> so let's work on that, okay? Let's keep it going if we can. That's very important. He says uh, for uh, you older men to be sober. Uh, you know, we know what that means, to be serious-minded, uh, somebody who's honoring the Lord, uh, I want to add to that, avoid the trappings uh, and attractions that are offered to us by the world around us, especially uh, in our area. Uh, don't forget while you're doing that, not, don't forget doctrine and truth. That's so so important. He uses the word reverent, to be reverent. Now, in the text, there's two different words, there's two different translations of this word reverent. Uh, in this first one, to older men, the word is semnos. Uh, The word has to do with being respectful of God in everything. We're to always be considering the perspective that we are always walking and living and breathing in the glory of God. So that everything we do is in his sight, in his hearing, in his awareness. Uh, He knows all things so that as men we understand that and live our lives according to that truth. There's a seriousness about that, a respectfulness to honor him because of who he is and his, his uh, uh, ever-presence in our lives. Then he says, be temperate. Uh, the idea of holding back, uh, being uh, reserved, being self-restrained. And again, in a world that says everything can have, be had now, we, we learn our lesson as we get older of the w- wisdom of just being careful, slow it down, be restrained, uh, be moderate in, in our life. And then he uses this word, sound. And he gives uh, three emphasis to this word: be sound in faith, be sound in love, and be sound in patience. Uh, that, that word "sound" is, is a word that means to be wholesome or healthy or free from error. They're sound, you know. Uh, and he gives us uh, in faith, in love, in patience. I want you to go to James, and then uh, when you get there, we'll stick our finger there because we're going to come here, leave, and come back. So in James chapter 2, and we'll come back to this in a second, but uh, just see what he has to say about being sound in faith. In chapter 2 of James, James, of course, is working through this issue of faith, and he wants to you know, obviously remind us that faith without evidence or faith without works, faith without something to prove faith is genuine, uh, isn't real faith. And so in verse 22, he says this, Do you see that faith was working together with his works? Talking about Abraham. And by works, faith was made perfect. Do you see that's what he's saying? There's this uh, recognition here that faith is working alongside with works and it's the works uh, by works faith was made perfect it's works that verifies that faith is genuine uh, obviously this is so important and when so to be sober minded is uh, our sound sound in my faith is somebody who's saying that my my faith is genuine and I know it's genuine because there's a desire in my heart to obey the word of God that that verifies my faith is real because anyone who, doesn't, who has a shallow faith, a weak faith, or a, really a, a, a sort of a belief, but it's not really rooted in our life, oftentimes will disagree, if not disobey, the Word of God. Faith verified by obedience. Then you have uh, in John 15, I'll just read that to you. Uh, Brian was close to this text, but I'm going to go and read this to you. In John 15, you have just this idea about love. And uh, listen again to what uh, the word says about that. If you have real love, uh, the Lord is concerned about this relationship with him. And so he says uh, in in John chapter 15, verse 10, he says this statement. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Then just uh, go down to verse fourteen. He says, "You are my friends if you do what I command you." And so, sound love is so interesting because sound love is something that, and we're talking about uh, agape love. We're talking about this love for God, this love that says, "I I, I love Him because He first loved me. I, I I'm in love with the One who saved me." If if that's your vernacular, then obviously our love for Christ is then. Evidence or verified or proven back to me because I have this desire in my heart to obey what he has to say because I understand who he is and why uh, I love him and what he's done for me and my response is obedience. If I don't have that desire to obey him, then I probably should never say I love him. Does that make sense? Impatience. Go back to James. We had this Wednesday night, if you weren't here. A great study from Wendell, uh, in chapter 1 of James. And he just uh, says this statement to us in verse 4, that, but let patience, and we go to verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He's talking about, you know, waiting through a situation and not bailing out or taking the easy exit out of trouble. Sometimes troubles come into our lives. Sometimes turmoil and struggles come. And God allows these things often in our lives as testing points. And God wants us to wait through that testing process, not try to figure out how to get out of it as quickly as possible. So sometimes we bail ourselves out as we can sort of humanly figure it out. If it's financial trouble, sometimes people will go and uh, get some kind of a loan that they didn't need to get that they thought was sort of, uh, sort of, Patch them out of trouble for a brief time and then they rationalize, I'll figure out how to pay that back later. And some of you have done that and realize what a bad decision that was. There's all kinds of things that we do to try to get out of trouble. In patience, my patience produces perfection, but that is verified. Again, my patience is the idea of being obedient to him. It's, that's really what's in the text here. It's waiting on him, uh, waiting through the problems. It's trusting him. And it, as I trust him, he takes the issues in my life and he brings perfection into my life. So it's this idea of obeying him and waiting through the process, Sound in faith, sound in love, sound in uh, patience—you know—obviously allows us to grow in Him. Uh, Then he uh, addresses, going back to our text. Then he addresses older women here, and he comes back and says, "The older women, do do you like being called that?" I, uh, honey, do you like to be called an older woman? No, I know you don't. She's still a chick. (laughs) (laughs) To me. Okay, but for the text, I'm just going with what was written here. Okay, older women, women, don't say amen, whoever that was. Don't do that, right? The older women, likewise. And then just the word likewise is sort of reminding you that what we just said to older men is just as important to absorb into your life. But I'm going to add some things to the list. That's what he's saying here. The older women likewise. And then he says, that they be. And then he says, reverent in behavior. The first thing he says. Interestingly enough, though, the word reverent here is a different word than the first word that we have for older men. Different translation, different word. Uh for you men, again, semnos is an important word for us. Again, we we establish that, that that word has this idea of serious minded, honoring the Lord, so on. But here to uh the older women he he uses a completely different mindset here, and it's it's not totally different, but it's different enough. It's hieropropies. It's a word that comes from a uh sort of a compound word that, that means temple fitting. Completely different idea. Temple fitting. The command, you know, could be adjusted or changed to say, older women, you behave like someone specially reserved for service to the Lord. It's a whole different way of looking at this. There's a specialness about you. Uh, that God wants you to be temple-fitted, temple-fitting. He wants you to be someone who recognizes that God has set you aside for service to Him. All the things you are, all the things you do, all the things that can sometimes be mundane and can be drudgery and can wear you down, God wants you to learn in your life that all that you do is done for Him as he has uh, made you into who you are. And there's this sense of, uh, Lord, you have fitted me and I respond back to you, my life. And it's a, it's a reverence in terms of my understanding of who I am and what I do. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. He then goes on and says, uh, not to be slanderers, not to be given to much wine. Oh, wow. Don't take off on that one. <laughs> who determines Much. That's a problem. It doesn't mean go get plowed. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, uh, tip a few at 2 o'clock and you'll feel better to make your dinner or whatever. It has nothing to do with that. But obviously, there's a sense here. Again, I'm going to always, let's be fair in our church, let's be fair with the text. It doesn't say you cannot drink, so I don't want to argue that. It just says not given to much wine. So obviously, uh, in reserve, be careful with that. Teachers of good things, and in the text, then he uh, adds this little phrase, uh, uh, admonishing. Uh, so now, uh, interesting, he says, that, verse four, that they admonish the young women. And so, there's another. There's, there's more to the list, but this list is going to be handed off to younger women. And so, uh, when we talk about slanders, giving too much wine, teachers of good things, admonishing young women, I want to make a, a very important note here to our church, and it's right in the text. Titus is commanded to address older men and older women. And when you come to younger women, notice it's older women who are commanded to address the younger women, not Titus. Uh, uh, this has gotten churches in more trouble. Not understanding the text. Uh, most pastors, Christian leaders, parachurch leaders who have staff or who have counseling in their life uh, get themselves in trouble when they are overspending time counseling with younger women, uh, women who are maybe not attached or not married or or maybe they are married but they've got marriage trouble. And obviously that's a big issue. And even centuries ago, Paul had enough wisdom to tell Titus, who was probably single, but telling Titus, be sure that you understand, this is who you are to command, this is who you are to deal with. Uh, You uh, share this truth with older men, with older women, but the older women will teach the younger women in the church. It establishes a very careful pattern that we uh, can't uh, and can... Uh, Can't trust ourselves sometimes. We can't always trust the circumstances of life. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what temptations are coming around the pike to any of us. I have oftentimes had discussions with my wife about now, uh, wait a minute, are you going to see so-and-so alone? (laughs) And uh, that's not a dumb question. That's actually a very wise question. And obviously, sometimes you can't help it, but you don't plan. If that makes sense. Some of you have been careless Sometimes at meeting with people, and I'm just sharing this, it's not always in the office. Sometimes it's out of the office where maybe you're meeting with somebody and you're sharing. And that's, I'm just saying, be very cautious because uh, even in the word of God, there's a sense that this is something we need to understand in leadership. Can I say this to you, dear ladies, all of you, young and old, you define your age. Dear ladies, listen, remember whose, whose you are. Like it didn't have to say it. Remember whose you are. You belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Remember who sees your heart and hears your words. Remember what will loosen your tongue and lower your standards. Remember that though your own children might not be listening, most younger women are eager to learn and to know. And take note of what God is calling you to model to younger women. We're going to look at that just now. And and I want to add to this that we're we're talking about probably in a structure of a church, uh, intentional relationships here. Uh, What happens is that seniors uh, uh, or older women, whatever, are oftentimes just feel completely, again, disconnected from younger women. There's different issues, Uh, family versus those who've already done this. Uh, There's just other issues. And then you have peer uh, friendships that uh, usually occupy a younger person's life, and uh, our older folks have their own friends and so on, and oftentimes they just don't get together. And I believe that it's important for us to read this text and say it's not about taking a ministry in the church and saying this ministry will then force itself on the younger crowd and teach them things. That is not a biblical structure given here. I think what it is is intentional one-on-one relationships. I think it's really important that some of you older ladies have to take a risk, because that's what it is when you don't know a younger person. Take a risk and actually uh, you know, meet with somebody what's in the hallway at a classroom in a large uh, place like this, but meet up with someone that you see across the room and just say, you know, uh, I don't really know you and I'd love to get to know you. And just ask their permission to get to know you. I, I think most younger women in our church, and I'm speaking on behalf of all you younger women that you'll respond in a godly way, that if an older woman here said, I'd really like to get to know you, you would say, I would love that. Now, if you don't want to do that, just say, no. (laughs) Go away. But don't be offended if it doesn't sort of work out the way you want it to. Somebody in this church needs a connection between older and young. You young ladies, it's, it's awkward in our culture, but I'm saying in this church it should not be. Seek out an older woman that you see that maybe you admire as you watch them and approach them and say, could I spend an hour with you over a cup of coffee and just listen to your story? Or I have some issues I want to talk about that I I feel like I, I just need, I would love to talk with you about certain things. And can you imagine that connection, how God can use that? He's designed that in his word to happen. But our culture negates these things. It's not cool. You're meeting with a what? You're 20. You're meeting with an 80-year-old? Yes, because they have things to offer that I want to hear. By the way, some of you who are older and you don't know beans about an iPhone, meet up with a younger person and say, you know what? I don't know how to work my phone. Can you help me? Because my kids are getting mad at me every time I ask them. And and I'm sure that maybe someone here would love to show you how to get into your files and how to take a picture and keep it or whatever. I'm sure they'd love to do that with you. Our kids are tired of hearing it. I've told you 10 times how to do that. Yes, but, you know. So hand hand it off to somebody else. So he says, older women. uh, Admonish younger women. And he gives some interesting things here in verse 4, and then going into verse 5. And he begins by saying, to love their husbands and to love their children. Why would uh, anyone need to be admonished to love their husbands and love their children? Isn't that just sort of normal? And absolutely it is not normal in our culture today. We're seeing this, these trends uh, of self-centeredness and and uh, you know, basically just a rejection of and I understand some of this because, you know, I mean, even though I'm a guy, I get it enough to know this, that there is an idealistic view of marriage that most of us young people have before we get there. I, I, I thought of myself as kind of a Prince Charming. I'm really not a Prince Charming. I mean, once you get to know me, I am not there. But my wife, I, I, I held her as kind of this princess, and I, I still do. Uh, but I, I had this, I had this view of this relationship that we would have this ideal friendship that we would go through life and, and walking through fields of wheat. And, uh, I don't know where I got that picture, but maybe uh, the beach. I don't know. Just, you know, being together and holding hands and life would be so simple and so beautiful, so easy. And you just kind of embrace whenever you feel like it and just live this life together. It's just wonderful. It's warm and fuzzy. And then what happens is you you uh, wake up one day about three years into this, and it's like the dishes are piled in the kitchen, and the dirty clothes is like a mountain high, and you know you're both like coming and going like maniacs, and you hardly ever talk, and the kids are like screaming and crying and throwing up and pooping and peeing, and all, all that stuff's happening, and the romance is just like out the window, romance. And I can imagine that sometimes a precious wife would just sort of like sit there and look out the window and say, this is it? And so there's a need for a reminder to what it's all about. And that reminder isn't supposed to come from me to a young woman. That would be really ridiculous for me to try and talk to you about how you feel about life. But an older woman who's been there and been through it, and has lived to tell about it, and still loves Christ, and can still help you understand how critical it is to have a different viewpoint. To, to love your husband means to recognize it's not all about gushy feelings. It's about recognizing and honoring the purpose of your lives together, the value of that, God's design in your life, and, and not losing focus on that. You know, in the hard times, you got to keep your eyes focused on the right things. And, and your kids, you know, when your kids are just like all over the map, you, you know, sometimes you're just going to lose it. And you want to get away for a weekend and he's just, you got to be reminded. And again, through someone who's been there and done it, you need to love your kids. You're on a mission. The mission is to pour yourself into these. And some days you feel like nothing's happening and you're not getting through, but you got to keep doing this. Because God designed you and equipped you and prepared you for this. And so these are truths that are to be handed down. And that's the design that happens in a healthy church. Uh, he, uh, he adds to this uh, to be discreet to the list to be discreet. Uh, that word means discerning or uh, guarded, uh, self restrained. You know, I, I want to just again remind you, younger women, as you walk through the church and you uh, mingle with people here, that there's something about a, a, a guy, if I can speak on behalf of men, there's something very attractive to me about a wife who is loyal to her husband, uh, loyal to her kids, and yet has a discreetness, a cautiousness in the approach with others, a guardedness. And I think that that's a great thing and that's an honoring thing. And I think that that's very important. Somebody who just lets it all go and says whatever they want, and they're out there in the front, uh, kind of just you know pulling it out. I'm not sure that that's the most beautiful thing, but discreet is a quality that's given here for that purpose. It's a beautiful quality, not a negative thing. We're not trying to muzzle anybody here. To be chaste. Uh, that word means morally pure. Thought and conduct. It means to be decent. But the word I like the best is the word modest to be chaste, to be modest. Can I read what the Bible says in 1 Peter 3 about this? And I won't leave guys out, I promise you. I want you to see this is not going to be one-sided at all, but I want you to see what the Word says, first of all, to uh, all of us, but certainly to young ladies. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 3. And, and he begins by, even in verse 1, talking to wives about being submissive to their husbands and So on and even if they don't obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. So you know, live a Christian life whether your husband does or not is what it's saying. Uh, But look at verse three: Do not let your adornment—that's that's that's your makeup, your beauty, your your, all the stuff that we do to improve ourselves and make us look nice. Don't let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair wearing gold putting on fine apparel rather let it be the hidden person of the heart let me pause and say first of all the text doesn't say don't beautify yourself let's just keep that in mind it it means along with that i just want to throw that out because i think sometimes there's a misunderstanding here that i i can't uh, i'm not supposed to look beautiful i i've got to I, I've got to keep myself so reserved and so hidden uh, that only my husband would ever see me. And I think that that's not what the word is saying. And often yet it's taught in certain places. No, he's just saying, don't let that be the only thing. Merely outward, he says. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. I don't know if you should underline that, but God is really looking for a woman who follows him, who is uh, realizing that the inward beauty is as important as the outward, and that God considers that person very precious in his sight. Isn't that beautiful? For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being, oh, be careful here, being submissive to their own husbands, There's this uh, interesting uh, uh, part of this when we talk about being chaste. There's this interesting part that if we use the word submissiveness uh, here, we're talking about submissiveness is really an adornment. When you're talking about, I'm going to beautify myself today. I'm going to look nice for the day. I want to look nice for my husband and my kids. I want to look nice for my family. I want to look nice in the community. So, uh, you know, we we do that. Most of you don't go to the grocery store with your hair up in curlers, and nobody even wears curlers anymore. So, you know, I'm not that out of it. But you don't you don't go like you know, looking like you don't really care about life. Most of us try to look nice, and we go. "I, I I even I do that. You know, us guys. But obviously, in this understanding there 's this sense of uh, of trying to adorn the outward part, and obviously the inward part needs to be adorned as well and When he uses this phrase, which has often again been misunderstood, uh, those who uh, try to adorn the uh, themselves internally, and oh by the way there 's an adornment to those who choose. To be submissive in their spirit. And that word really means to be humble. Uh, I I choose to be humble in my spirit toward those around me. There's an adornment that uh, we don't even think about. that That actually makes you more attractive than less. And God has designed us this way. And so he calls on this to be an issue in our lives to understand this and he, he uses the, now going back to our text in titus he uses the word homemaker i thought about this quite a while and obviously it is it does not mean stay-at-home moms it's not in the bible homemaker does not mean that you are a slave at home you cannot go out that's so obviously wrong But it does mean that you have this understanding that you are the manager of your home. You're the one who's uh, called on here to, you set the tone for that. I I don't know why it is, and in our culture where we have decided that uh, there is no distinctness between men and women, we're all the same, we all do the same things, we all look the same, we're all supposed to talk the same and perform the same, and our kids, our kids, Poor kids today, they, they don't even know what they're supposed to be. And they, they can't be just a boy anymore. They can't be just a girl. They're, they have to sort of be everything. It's so muddy today. And so the Bible seems so out of touch with reality. But what he's saying here when he says the word homemaker, he's just saying there's something that's built in here. that, And it's not always going to be a woman. There are exceptions to the rule. There are some men who stay at home and do home and prepare the home. And I understand that. But for the most part, in general, he's just saying here that God has designed you to be the one who is the soft one, who kids want to you know, rest on, who, who uh, uh, people trust to beautify a home. My goodness, we talk about this. Uh, we said it the other day, just this weekend, uh, this week, that if I lived by myself, if I was all by myself and just me and me, I would have a tiny house, one of those little tiny things. I only need one room. That's all I need. Give me one little room. And the kitchen's on one wall, you know, and the couch is on the other wall, and the bathroom's on this wall. I, I, that's all I need. And I would be happy and fun. That, that would be my life. Come into my house, you know. I, I can fight over one person, maybe two. <laughs> Have a seat at my, well, there is no table. Have a seat in my chair, you know. I, I would that, That's who I would be. But because I have a dear precious wife who cares about our home and puts things on the wall and puts decorations out and makes it nice and cozy for me, that's a gift from God to me from her. Now when she says, what's on the wall? And I go, I don't have a clue because I don't appreciate what's on the wall. I just know it's there. And, and maybe some of you guys are like that, but that, that's okay. But obviously, we need to be as sensitive as we can about this. But I am thankful for my home. I'm thankful that my kids love to come home from their life, love to come home and just relax. And all of that comes from my wife, because when I go home, I still like to work. It's not relaxing. If you come home, if I'm the only one there, it's not, I'm not relaxing. I, I, might have, I might look like I'm relaxing, but I'm still working. Us guys kind of do that sometimes. So I'm just saying, I, the blessing of, of a homemaker in my life is huge. And of course, Proverbs 31, we all know the text, it talks about a woman being industrious, being resourceful, being engaged, uh, obviously, in her home and her family and so on. And, and that's what he's addressing because today, all this is being thrown out for political correctness. And, and the, the shaping of lives is being lost in misunderstanding how God's designed us and what He's called us to do. He uh, actually has to say, can you imagine this? But He actually says in the text, and I don't think God's word's missing anything here, but just listen to what He says here. Not only be discreet, chaste, homemakers, but why would He say, teach them to be good? And and I think when you... uh, do a study on that it's really the idea of just again the the, the motives of why we do what we do uh, teach them the motives that steer our decisions uh good meaning out of out of a right way of thinking out of right doctrine and right understandings of who I am and what god's called me to do good things should come out of my life and that's what he's really talking about. Then he adds this next phrase, don't get mad again, but it goes back to the text, obedient to their own husbands. Again, don't misunderstand this text. It's not saying be obedient to the, the guy who's pounding you in the ground, the guy who's abusing you, the guy who's who's uh, ug and tugging. And he's, he's just a, a a tough dude who's crude and rough and doesn't care and, treats the kids bad or uh, doesn't work, uh, uh, whatever it is. You know, d- d- I understand those things are out there, but in, uh, in the right kind of ideas here, uh, there's this sense of, and what he's talking about here is how a wife is viewed by her husband in certain situations. Do you know that uh, um, uh, some of the counseling that I've had to go through are men who are angry or jealous when they see their wives Sometimes going to counseling, even coming to me, or going to someone else and talking in the foyer with some other man. And uh, they see that and they get angry because sometimes their wife is getting advice from everyone else and never consulting with their own husband. That's, that's so demeaning. Let me give you an example. The story of Adam and Eve. You know the story. Eve Eve looked at something, okay? That's okay, we all do that. Eve looked, but then Eve considered. Then Eve communicated with the wrong person. And from that, Eve deducted and Eve decided. Not one time did she consult or even consider input from her husband. So this goes deep into our culture, into, our, into our, our background, as really the first sin of Eve was not eating the apple on the tree. The first sin of Eve was not consulting with her husband. We never teach this. The first sin of Eve was not being a partner with her husband and saying, uh, what do you think, Adam? Adam? and at least having a discussion before she continued on, and she was getting counsel and information from the wrong source that was steering her into sin, taking her down the wrong road. And I'm saying the result of that, obviously, is the devastation of our culture today where women see men as basically useless, and maybe your husband is. That's, that's not right but I'm speaking in terms of general here as what should be. that uh, the, com- the comment today in our culture is that men aren't really needed. A woman can do almost anything a man can do, and maybe you can, and that's okay. There are some women a lot stronger than I am. I was uh, actually working out this week at my rehab to build my uh, system up, and I'm on a treadmill, and I'm thinking I'm doing pretty good. I'm almost bragging about it. I'm I'm at 3.8, walking at, you know, a 4% incline. And I'm just going away. And this, I'm telling you, this girl that was right next to me, maybe 30, was sprinting. <laughs> and I finally got so irritated, I said, slow down. <laughs> You're making me feel like a wimp. <laughs> and she laughed and just kept on sprinting, you know. <laughs> so yes, yes, you just realize again how... Pathetic you can be at times, you know, how weak we can be. But obviously, in that understanding, here's this sense that I wanted to communicate today. That men are given this sense that if if I obey my husband, then basically you're saying I'm a slave. I feel pinned down. I feel conquered. I feel shut down. And, and that's not what the intention is at all. Godly submissiveness is nothing more than being humble. And obedience to a husband or anyone like that, anybody in authority, but obedience to a husband is simply showing honor where it's due. Now, if you say, well, there's nothing due, that's a problem. But obviously that that's the Ideal. But when these things are applied, as, as Peter has written them down for us, and even back here in Titus, if these things are written down, and, we, and they are, and we are to follow God's word, then obviously there will be good fruit in our lives as we follow him. <clears throat> now he uh, goes to the issue of young men in the text, back in Titus, and he says to likewise exhort the young men to be, and then he gives this list, sober-minded in all things, showing yourselves to be a pattern of good works. And then he goes on in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. To be sober-minded, to be a pattern of good works. And guys, he's talking here about obviously having an ongoing demonstration. It's the word pattern. It's, it's an ongoing demonstration. It's a uh, it's, it's, it's a long-term run here. It's seeing someone uh, from uh, maybe a starting point and down the road, and they're still on the same track. They're still growing in the same pattern. They're, they're only getting stronger, and they're staying true to their original beliefs. And so, uh, obviously, uh, Paul talks about this, and I'm going to read this uh, to, to us together. You can mark it down, Philippians chapter 3, uh, 17 and 18, where Paul mentions this. He says, brothers, join in following my example and note those who so walk. So there's this sense of pattern in people's lives. And so young men should be looking for others who have a pattern to follow. He says, but then he says, as you have us walk, as you have us for a pattern. So follow the pattern. But then verse 18, he comes back and says, for many walk, and this is always an alarming statement, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. As I try to translate what is being said here, I want to say that there are patterns out there to follow. And some who profess Christ... uh, are actually enemies of Christ when they have no pattern that is righteous in their pattern. Their, their pattern is erratic. Their pattern is... and, and he, he actually is saying that those who have a wrong pattern, an evil pattern, are enemies of Christ. So we got to be careful who we're following. That, again, is one of the reasons for this series. I wanted to remind us as we uh, choose to follow and listen to leaders. As Who do you decide to listen to? That was our first week. Who are you listening to? Where do you get your truth? Who are you following? And obviously here, young men can choose to follow the right patterns or the wrong patterns. In our culture, I, I, it amazes me to uh, you know find different venues where you see young people, young men, especially young men who are uh, at some kind of a concert, and sometimes the concert is anything but good. It's oftentimes not good, and sometimes absolutely evil. But you'll see young men in that crowd jumping and hooping, and holding their hands up, and getting all sweaty, just being a part of the crowd, and like they're in a frenzy of some kind, and like this is their heroes. Or you know, you know I see young guys who wear a T-shirt with a a gross rock group on the front that they're sort of saying, "This is sort of like uh, I'm not ashamed of this." I, I just think. Oh, my goodness, they they just don't have any clue who they're following. To young men, he says, exhort them to be sober-minded. Again, there's this sense of being sober-minded or serious, being a pattern of good works. And then he has these three uh, parts to uh, doctrine, showing integrity in doctrine, showing reverence in doctrine, showing incorruptibility in doctrine. I've got to close. I went way over. So I'm going to come back next week and get into this. Uh, I hope that you will be here to hear this. But obviously, just to remind us that these are things as we follow Christ. And I want to say uh, before I close today, just because of who's here, that all that I'm saying today comes out of a package of grace. And if if you had time, you might not read the last four or five verses of Titus chapter two, because he wants us to know that truth, and this is truth, but truth and doctrine and so on all come from a desire that we live godly lives in a world that's not godly and that we realize that all this information that we're learning from is all really designed by God and comes to us through his grace. And so... uh, If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, this could be a turnoff today. If you are hearing all this and not hearing that, all of this truth that comes to us that is intended to give us a life that glorifies God. And if that's the case, and it comes to us from the grace of God, and obviously if that's the case, God wants you to know that he loves you so much. He's given truth to steer your life. And if you listen to this truth, it will bring good things to you. Church, this is not a popular topic, but obviously I'm concerned about the days ahead, and I'm concerned that we understand uh, how we choose to follow, who we choose to follow. And obviously in this pattern of the church, he's saying there needs to be an understanding of who I am, where I fit into this crowd, and how I respond. And so from old to young, we're all given specific instructions, but all the overlapping truth is for us as well. The bottom line is Jesus Christ Christ if he's first in my life and i and i love him i'm going to obey him and if i obey him i'm going to have blessing from him and he's designed the christian life to be the most blessed life of all and if we reject that if we don't want to follow those truths we throw ourselves into the arena of unsaved ungodliness and we're going to live our lives like that and it's all intended as a highway to hell as the song says so you have to decide we want to follow, and these are these are truths that are, are not always taught, but we need to hear these things and I pray that God can help you apply them to your heart, Lord, as we uh, close this morning, your word is uh, takes us many different roads as we learn from you how to live our lives, and sometimes these specific things are not are not first in our thoughts. we love to talk about your salvation because it set us free we We love to talk about heaven because it's an eternal, glorious place for us. Uh, we, We love to talk about your blessings and your goodness, but we sometimes miss talking about how to get there, the road there. And Lord, today, help us to understand these things we've talked about today are compliments. They are adornments. They are those things that are attractive to you as we choose to live our lives in this way. And they're always meant for our good and our blessing. I pray that we'll understand that and take these things to heart, apply them to our life. I pray, Lord, you will help in this church that we would connect ourselves, old guys to young guys, older women to younger women, uh, even to teenagers, that we would have this connection, this dynamic connection together, that we love each other and want to hear from each other and grow in Christ through each other. Lord, help us to do that, I pray. And uh, we'll give you praise for that. Thank you for your truths today. Help us to live by them in Christ's name.